Hello and welcome to Guru Please, the show about pushing the limits of life and stepping up to live with more meaning, more purpose, and more passion. I'm your host, Jessica Sun. I'd like to introduce Sheila Stone. Sheila is a tour creator and guide. She's the owner of Britain Your Way Tours and Women Sharing Cultures. She reinvented herself at the age of 50 when she went abroad for the first time and went back to school for her bachelor's and master's degrees. Welcome to the show, Sheila. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, let's start off with what was kind of going on in your life when you were 48, 50 years old. Uh, You went back to school at the same time as your son. What was transpiring to lead up to that decision? Well, a lot of stuff. In 2001, I refer to 2001 as my year of hell. Mm. Um, And that was before September 11th. I mean, it was... It started out where I were, I was a writer at a um, dot com, and if you know anything about that particular time, you can kind of see where this is going. The company folded. They didn't give us any warning. They kept saying, oh, no, no, we're going to be bought. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be fabulous. Oh, by the way, we've run out of money, and uh, you don't have a job. And no severance pay, didn't even get my last paycheck. At the time, I had not only my two sons, but two exchange students living with me. So I was feeding four teenage boys job, uh, but it was only part time. That was all I could get. And it was not writing. It was being a, a PA, a, an admin back at Caltech, which is where I had worked before I left for dot-com fame and fortune. Then my ex-husband met the love of his life. And in the, <laughs> in the cataclysmic events that happened in that year, not to, only to me, but in the world, that seems very minor. But believe me when I tell you that him treating her the way I had always wanted him to treat me was really hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. So I was struggling because of the loss of of income. Um, I had to file for bankruptcy, which is never fun. Mm -hmm. My youngest son, my oldest son was going off to university. My youngest son graduated from high school. And the deal we had with my ex-husband was that we would move out of the house at that point, or at least I would move out of the house and he would move in. So Jonathan decided to come with me, thank God. We moved out of, from a 3,000 square foot Spanish style house in North Glendale, we moved to a two bedroom apartment in Pasadena. So that was difficult too, having the empty nest, my oldest son leaving, and um, I found myself kind of bursting into tears mm. <laughs> uh, all the time, which is not my normal, my normal persona. I had a crown, and my, one of my teeth, the crown, fell off. <laughs> and I couldn't afford to get it fixed until my insurance kicked in. So that was fun, too. Uh, it just seemed like thing, one thing after another was happening. And it finally got where I just was, it was difficult. It was, I felt like I didn't have a future. Now, in my head, I knew that, of course, I did have a future. But in my feelings, I felt like I didn't. Like the world had ground, my world had ground to a halt and everything was moving on without me. Mm. So I decided 
once I got, we got moved in and everything was starting to settle down, I was going, okay, I'm out of crisis mode, more or less. Now, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? So I decided to go back to school more as a way of telling myself I had a future than a burning desire to get a degree. Yeah. I'd like to say, oh, I always wanted to get a degree. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I'm being honest, no, it wasn't really something that I had a burning desire to do, but it was like a lifeline. Yeah. And it was, you know, pretty, that gave me something to focus on. It gave me something to feel like I had something to work toward. So I, when I started, I found out that although I'd taken a lot of classes, nothing transferred. So I was right at the, the bottom, just like I was, just like my son. I spent two years going to school full time and working full time, uh, which was a little nuts. Mm -hmm. But it, it felt good. You know, I was kind of obsessed, but it, it just felt like I was saying, okay, this is something I can do. This can make a difference. And I'm here to tell you, it was pretty fantastic. When I was 50, so in between my, when, when I finished community college and I was going to be transferring to UCLA, that was when I went abroad for the first time. Hmm. I went to Britain, I volunteered on, on an archeological dig at a castle, which was amazing. <laughs> I mean, it was just, I was the oldest person on the dig literally older than all the archaeologists, older, older than all the volunteers. But I had a wonderful time. We camped, we played in the dirt. I found 13th century pottery. Now, everybody was finding that. It wasn't anything, it wasn't a huge deal. It wasn't like, you know, I found something that was going to be written up in, you know, archaeology now. But when you hold something that is that old and you've just pulled it out of the dirt mm. and you think nobody has touched it, it's, it's almost a religious experience. It was so fantastic. And I met so many interesting people and I was, I was me. I wasn't Chris's mom, John's mom, you know, the, the person that works in the math department. I was me. Yeah. And that was wonderful. Mm. And uh, I met up with my kids and we traveled around in Germany and Switzerland and uh, France, the Netherlands. And then we came home and then I transferred to UCLA and was there the same time as both of my sons, mm -hmm. <laughs> which <laughs> luckily they'd gotten, it's a big campus. We didn't live together. And they had gotten old enough that they found it more amusing than mortifying. Mm -hmm. So you go back to school. You're by far probably one of the oldest people there. How did that feel? How did you handle that? Well, you know, at first it was difficult because I was living alone for the first time in decades, uh, at least a couple decades, because my boys were, by that time, the oldest son had his own apartment and the youngest was living in transfer housing. It was hard to make friends at first because of being older than everybody. In class, I mean, nobody was rude or anything like that, but, you know, in class, 
the young people are all going, well, you know, let's go out afterward and have a beer. If you say that to someone who is the same age as your children, that doesn't really, <laughs> it's, it's a little awkward. So I joined, uh, I was a cultural anthropology major, and I joined, they started up an anthropology club, and I joined that, and I got to meet some people out of campus. You know, they were students, but we weren't meeting in class. And then there started to be some traction. But for the first few months, I ate every meal alone, which was kind of a bummer. Mm -hmm. But it was worth it. I mean, I wasn't the oldest person by any stretch. Mm. I had some friends, one of my best friends, who's four years older than I am. We met at UCLA. Mm. We say that we are sorority sisters. Uh, people think, oh, they must have met in the 70s. <laughs> you know, and we're like, oh, no, not really. But thanks. I also made friends of people who were, you know, were my kids' age. One of my best friends is 30 years younger than I am. Mm-hmm. And we know each other, not through my sons, but because we became friends. I got invited to a couple of 21st birthday parties. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that was, <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was interesting. I'm a cultural anthropology major. I can handle this. You know? <laughs> it's like, ooh, culture. It, and it was wonderful. It was wonderful. I had wonderful experiences. I got a chance to go overseas. I did. I spent a summer in Japan interviewing middle-aged women for an honors thesis, which was pretty incredible. <laughs> then I graduated. <laughs> right. So it kind of helped you maybe reclaim your own life in a sense. That was it. I didn't want to follow my sons. I didn't want to be that parent or, you know, the helicopter parent, but I wanted to have my own adventures. And I did. I had amazing, well, I still do, although they're a little bit dampened right now. But Mm -hmm. for the most part, I found out getting my degree meant more to me than having a degree. It showed me what I was capable of. It showed me you know, the the possibilities. I graduated magna cum laude with departmental college honors, which was really cool, but of course means nothing in the real world. (laughs) But, you know, just doing that showed me, wow, you know, I'm I'm actually capable of a lot. I, I can do stuff. Yeah. What would you say to like your former past self who was going through you know, divorce, bankruptcy, loss of job, things like that? Well, I thought about that a lot because what I tend to think is I would want, I mean, yes, it's wonderful to say things are going to get better and, and, you know, or you really should be more strong and you should do this and you should do that. I try to, to treat myself who was going through all that like another person. I try to treat myself gently and with kindness mm-hmm. because you know, my marriage is not physically, but verbally and mentally. So the fact that I got out, I could have done it better, but Hey, I did it. And I try to look at that and go, I did the best I could for where I was for the person I was then. And I think that's important for everybody. 
Hmm. To kind of have that self-compassion, what did you learn about yourself as you were in this multi-year process of reinventing yourself? I learned I'm not capable of pulling (laughs) all-nighters. And I learned that I really love doing research, which is something I still do because having, you know, doing tours, you have to research where you're going and everything. And I really love that. Like I said, I learned that I really am capable of a lot if I just put my head down. I also learned that, you know, just because you're capable of something doesn't mean it's not a lot of hard work. There were times, there were classes that when they finished, I was almost weak with relief <laughs> that, that I will never have to take math again. You know, you know I think it's, that's one of the things about getting higher education is you're exposed to a lot of interesting things and you find out stuff about yourself, certainly if you're college age, but even if you're much older. Yeah. And then after that, you actually went abroad and performed stand-up comedy. I mean, tell us, tell us about that. Okay. When I was a senior, <laughs> I had just gotten back from Japan. And I, I really, part of it was jet lag. I really got kind of depressed. And I was thinking, great, I've got senioritis. You know, I'm, I'm 52, not 22. And I'm, I've got senioritis. And I was thinking, well, what do I want to do? I mean, pretty soon I'm going to be out of school and I'll have a degree, but, you know, what do you do then? And I thought, you know, I'd like to try stand-up comedy. And it was a week before I could even tell anyone. And when I told my youngest son, if he had gone, Mom, that's so dumb, I think I probably wouldn't have pursued it at all. But he went, oh, yeah, I could see you doing that. (laughs) Oh, okay. And I did. I didn't do it a lot. I did it mostly in Britain. I did the, I went to the um, Edinburgh Festival, which was really fun. Yeah, and I met some wonderful people that are still my friends. I still do something like that because when I do my tours, it's a little bit like doing a long-term stand-up and the people can't get away. (laughs) (laughs) Had you done comedy before or was that just completely new for you? Completely new. How did you have that like gumption to stand up in front of an audience and tell jokes? It was kind of terrifying, but what I did was I focused on, you know, I wrote my, my stuff. I am a writer, so I liked what I wrote and I tried to focus on what I wanted to tell the people. So rather than focusing on, oh my gosh, these people are looking at me and they're listening to me, I focused on, I've got these, these funny stories and I want to share them. And that helped. Mm, yeah, more about sharing the stories rather than trying to like, make people laugh. Right, right. Although if they didn't laugh, that's, that's, you don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's changed inside you and your like, general approach or life philosophy, having been through and seen what you've, what you've seen? I pretty much feel like if I just keep plugging away, I can do pretty much anything I set my mind to. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not going to set my mind to, gee, I want to be a professional ballet dancer, 
because I wouldn't be able to do that. But for things that I really want to do, like with the, the tours, I also feel like I've, I've tapped into my passion. And the tours work out really well because not only am I, you know, quote, performing, I'm also, you know, talking to people, getting to tell them about history, and I'm a history buff, and trying to make it interesting and trying to let them know what it is that they're seeing because things are more interesting if you know what it is you're looking at rather than old building, old building, old building. Right. So I think for anything, you know, it's not just about what I've found, but, you know, we all have passions and they don't all necessarily translate into a business or anything financial. But I think it's so important for us to be in touch with our passions, uh, whatever they are, because sometimes people treat the, this life like it's, it's a dress rehearsal. Mm-hmm. It isn't. This is our life and our lives. And we're so fortunate to be able to get older because so many people don't get that opportunity. Mm-hmm. My sister-in-law died when she was 18. She had osteogenic sarcoma, which is a type of bone cancer. I was 27. I remember at the time I said, I will never complain about getting older Mm. because so many people don't get to, it's a, it's a blessing. We're so lucky to, to have that opportunity. I love trying new things and I love seeing different ways I can connect with people because, you know, that's what I love to do with travel is the best part is meeting people. Mm. It's Mm -hmm. nice to see stuff, but the best part is meeting people. Do you feel like before you weren't really connected with your passions? I mean, in kind of looking back uh, retrospectively, were there things that you could have done differently? Or, or what, what is like your opinion on your own past? If you are involved in a situation with someone who is pretty much determined <laughs> to tear you down at every opportunity, that doesn't do a lot or getting in touch with your passions, or, you know, you, you just kind of put your head down and, and try to get through it. I focused on my sons because he was also harsh with them. And I wanted to protect them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it took a while after the, after the divorce, it took me a while to even know what my passions were. Yeah. Other than, of course, my sons, which I adore adored and still do I knew they were going to grow up (laughs) that's the thing about kids you know you put all this effort into them and then they grow up which is what you want them to do you know but on the other hand particularly if you're a single parent when they leave home you have to go okay am I going to continue the way I'm I am now And in some cases, that may be exactly the right answer for certain people. I'm not saying everybody needs to do what I did, because it's a very personal thing. But if that's not the answer for you, then you have to decide, okay, what am I going to do? I had a friend who came to me and said, okay, Sheila, the only thing stopping you now is you. Wow. That's exciting and scary all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. How did you really figure out what your passion was? Because 
if you'd spent, let's just say, 20 years kind of putting your head down, taking care of your sons, really living to kind of support your children and kind of almost like ignoring your own needs, what was the process like to get back in touch with who you are? Well, for one thing, I mean, going through this year of hell, was a, it was a really good full stop to, okay, this was before, and now we've got something new. But I got really lucky because one of the first classes I took when I went back to Pasadena City College was an anthropology class. It was cultural anthropology. I didn't even know what cultural anthropology was. Mm. I just took it because it fulfilled a requirement and it fit into my schedule. And the very first class, it was like I'd been hit by lightning. I was sitting there and she explained what it was and I'm going, oh my gosh, that's the kind of stuff I really like. Mm. I didn't know it had a name. I just knew I enjoyed the diversity. That was part of the reason that we, you know, we hosted exchange students and that was wonderful fun. But I didn't know what cultural anthropology was. Uh, at that point, I determined that would be what I would major in. Because when I started, I didn't even have a clue what I wanted to major in. From the very first class, you thought, wow, this is something... I'm really interested in, and I'm going to keep learning. Absolutely. And the, the teacher was great because she started out by saying, okay, so, you know, to explain what cultural anthropology is, it's what cultures do and everything. She goes, now, I know a lot of you might have put some thought into what you were going to wear to class this morning, but I'll bet none of you were thinking of not wearing any clothes as a, an option. Mm-hmm. Because our culture, when you go out, you wear clothes. Yeah. I just thought, yeah, wow, that's true. And I've not regretted it. I've really enjoyed it. Huh. Now that you have your own kind of tour operations and you uh, create and lead tours abroad, how has what you've learned kind of played a role in shaping that? Well, the, the curiosity helps you know, looking around going, okay, what will really get people excited? What will let them know that this is a really great place to go? My Women Sharing Cultures tours, those are for women. So I not only do the, let's see the stuff, but let's meet local women. Let's have a potluck. Let's have dinner together or go out for drinks with women who live there because that and, and I don't have to do anything other than just get everybody together and then step back because women take care of everything themselves <laughs> they start talking and they you know the first potluck I did which was in Tipido, Louisiana so the Bayou country literally within minutes, you know, everyone's got their food and they're talking. And one woman starts telling about the first time she experienced racism and everyone's joining in. And I just sat back going, wow, there, there isn't a lot I have to do about this. This is, women can do it themselves. You know, if you put, give them the opportunity, we want to connect. 
Another thing that I learned, which is real helpful right now, is flexibility. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I'm talking about my tours, but let's be honest, right now, I don't even know when I'm going to be doing another one. Yes. So I have started writing again. And that's been fun. And it's kept me sane, you know, kept me from, you know, sitting in the corner crying. And that's a good thing. It's good to be flexible because let's be honest, life does not always serve us up what we expect. And certainly this year, it's pretty much hit everybody that way. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you have, you know, operate travel companies, I mean, (laughs) yeah, and and now you're, you know, unable to do that. Yeah, not the best, not the best COVID uh, business plan. I literally canceled my trip to Europe two days before I was supposed to leave. Mm-hmm. Instead of going to Ireland, I, I was in DC and I flew home and I've been here ever since. At first, it was just a little bit like, okay, okay, what are we doing? And then I was like, okay, well, okay, I can't do this. This is, hopefully it will happen again, hopefully next year, but there are no guarantees. What will I do instead? Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm doing. I had a couple of manuscripts that were finished, but had never been published. And I've been breaking those down into tiny books, which is a designation of a book between 10 and 12,000 words. And that's what I'm spending my time on. It sounds like... You're adapting. I mean, it sounds adapting. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's a really good word. Uh, adapting. I think you know, almost all of us are going through that in one form or another. Mm-hmm. It's a little more extreme if you're in travel, but my goodness, look what teachers are dealing with, yeah. and and parents, and uh, you know, everyone is in a situation where there is a certain amount of adapting that. It has to go on in order for you to successfully navigate what the world is doing right now. Hmm. Okay, so you're kind of saying, let me focus on some other things that I can do right now. But then you also mentioned, yeah, the teachers and other people, and you're really kind of drawing on the strength of the community and saying, well, it's not just me who's going through big changes. Absolutely not. And, you know, we can't meet up in person right now. But thank goodness for Zoom. I only wish I had bought stock in Zoom about six months ago. (laughs) But, you know, I'm involved with women's groups, and we meet on Zoom. Mm -hmm. Two of my, my best friends who live in England, we always volunteer at an English school in Spain, which is actually where I'm supposed to be right now. And last Saturday, we get on Zoom, and we shared our pictures with each other from years past. There's a lot you can do, thank goodness. Now, we have a lot of, we have a lot of options that we wouldn't have had even five or ten years ago. You know, we can still connect. You're really looking for opportunities, right, and focusing on what you can do versus what you can't do. Absolutely. That's what I used to think of when I was when I was a single parent, you know, focus on what you got, not what you ain't got. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, really, it's the only way to 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 do this and to not only 
survive, but you want to thrive. Yeah. This is, it's still, it's not ideal, but this is one year of our life. Yeah. And you don't get a do-over. <laughs> Where's that kind of balance to strike in terms of, well, I had a plan in place, but, you know, because of everything that's happening, that plan had to be thrown out the window. You don't want to say, okay, well, I'm just going to not have any plans from now on or or you know forget that like you still want to move forward on that where's the balance in order to I guess navigate this successfully well I I think probably it's different for different people but for me I really need to focus on what I can do and also you know I'm not just ignoring the travel aspect of my personality. I watch YouTube videos. I still do research. I, even if I don't know when it's going to happen, that's a passion. I, I learn things about history. I, the things that bring me joy, because even if I can't use them right now, they still bring me joy. And if you've got something you're passionate about and it brings you joy, embrace it yeah and what's your kind of take on the divorce and what happened I mean have you forgiven your ex-husband how do you approach that well you know what we can get along our oldest son got married last November and we sat at the same table (laughs) it's and it's funny because my my daughter-in-law's mom after the wedding came up and said, you did good. And I went, what do you mean? And she said, well, you know, sitting at the same table with your ex-husband. And I went, you know, it was fine. And I realized that doesn't work for everybody. Uh, It depends on, you know, how horrendous the situation was. Mm -hmm. It just takes too much effort to be angry. Hmm. You've kind of just let that go. and It took a while. I mean, <laughs> it didn't just, you know, flip over. But we separated in 1994. So it would be really tragic if I was still that upset mm. this many years later. Yeah, That's a wasted right. life. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Initially, it's very much understandable to feel angry and betrayed, but Oh, yeah. I, I went to therapy. Mm-hmm. I, I am a big believer that we can all use some help from time to time. The thing, though, is to go to therapy, work through what you need to work through, and then move on. You know, don't stay there. What were some of those kinds of things that you did for yourself or still continue to do? A lot of it was just giving myself time, just because... You go, okay, good. You know, when he moved out of the house, everything felt like this huge sigh of relief because the, the stress and the yelling and, and all of that ended. And I tried to do a lot of fun things with the boys. It was probably a couple of years before I felt as happy as I acted with them because I just needed to heal. Yeah, yeah. 
So, you know, I mean, I remember running around and, and running around the house with Nerf balls and throwing them at each other and laughing and smiling. And I felt like the, the smile did not go any deeper than my teeth. Mm-hmm. But you keep doing it. And then slowly the healing happens. It'd be nice if you could just flip a switch, but you know. Yeah, it's kind of little things over time. Yeah, absolutely. And it helps to have good friends, to have supportive friends. You know, that really makes a difference. Yeah. What's your advice for somebody who, you know, is maybe feeling that same way where their smile is only skin deep? Just be kind to yourself and to know that this too shall pass. And another thing I would say is don't jump right into another relationship. Mm -hmm. Because if you do, even if you don't think that you're trying to, to have someone fix you, that's what can happen. You know, where you think, okay, good. Okay. I'm going to find someone and he's going to be wonderful. He's going to make me happy. And he's going to do all the things that I wanted, you know, my ex to do that he never did. And that's a natural want. But if you look to someone else to quote, fix you and to make you happy, you need to make yourself happy. Yeah. You need to find that happiness within yourself. And then once you're healed, then you can move out with another situation. But, but don't try immediately to find someone to, to make it all better, even though it hurts. Really take that time to listen to what you need and want and take care of yourself first. Absolutely. And I, I knew especially when I was going through the worst of it, um, that anybody who wanted me in that shape <laughs> probably wouldn't like me once I got fixed. Yeah. Thank you for sharing like your story about turning your life around or just in a different direction. So often these kinds of changes happen in our lives where it's not just one or two things. It just feels like everything around us is falling apart at the same time. It's like you're wearing a cosmic kick me sign. <laughs> right. Right. And just everything that can go wrong does. And, and we're lost for a bit. But, you know, in your own journey, you've shown that it's really an opportunity to create the change that you want and to live a more fulfilled life. Absolutely. And, you know, when you go through something really difficult, you know what it does is you really learn empathy firsthand Mm -hmm. that you can apply to other people because we all go through stuff. Yeah. You may feel like you're unique and nobody has gone through what you've gone through. And in some ways that's probably true because everybody is unique, but we all go through pain. And once you've been to the other side, you can really be, caring and gentle with people who are going through things too yeah because we act like we should be immune to bad things happening and it only happens to other people but you know it honestly we all go through one thing or another 
Yes. And that's part of what makes us who we are. Yeah. And you can really appreciate the good stuff when you've been through some bad stuff. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It, it teaches you a lot, for sure. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And it puts you in directions that you wouldn't necessarily have expected you'd ever go. Right. Right. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Sheila. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I loved being here and meeting you and having a chance to chat.